You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good GP. I'm Christina and today I'm bringing you a very special episode on the practicalities of video consultations as part of our special COVID-19 series. So for those of you who aren't aware, the team here at The Good GP has teamed up with another favorite Aussie GP podcast, Just a GP, to bring you the latest up-to-date information about COVID-19 and how it impacts us as GP. So keep your eyes and your ears peeled and regularly check in as we will be releasing these podcasts on a regular basis. Now, I will just let everyone know that we are recording this podcast on the 17th of March, 2020, and information presented in this podcast is correct as of that date. We will endeavor to update Uh, any information that does go out of date. Now, without further ado, joining me today to discuss video consultations, I have Dr. Aaron Chambers. Welcome, Aaron, and thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Christina. Happy to be here. Now, Aaron, you're a GP based in Brisbane, um, and you are a practice owner of Grow Medical Practices and have several other hats. I'm not going to go into them all because we could take up the whole podcast just talking about it. But of particular relevance to talking about video consultations today, you are actually part of, correct me if I'm wrong, but a group of doctors who've developed a video conferencing platform called GP Consults. Did you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so GP Consults started, uh, we were initially intending to help provide some after-hours care for kids in the after-hours period with a couple of uh, paediatric emergency physicians. Um, But we rapidly realised after developing this with a Brisbane-based IT crowd for the last six months that when the COVID crisis started to hit, that this is going to be required for all GPs around Australia. And so we launched GP Consults, well, really only about a week ago, uh, and we've already got over 500 doctors subscribed. Wow, that's amazing. And so it is an option. GPs um, around the country can uh, get on board um, and use that as a platform if they're interested. That's true. And what we're really trying to do is make sure that patients are connected with their own practice. I think it's really important through this crisis that we do try and push that continuity because that's the value that general practice provides. And really, if we don't continue to provide continuity for for our patients, we risk becoming irrelevant. Yeah, excellent. Well, thanks. I really appreciate that you're giving up some time to talk to me today, um, given that you do have some experience in this and you have set up your practices to be able to um, incorporate video consultations. So I did really want to talk to some of the practicalities for the GPs out there. A lot of practices aren't necessarily utilising this technology you know, prior to COVID-19. So this is new for them. So really wanting to talk to some of the practicalities of how to get started if people are feeling a little bit overwhelmed by the the thought or the concept of um, turning some of their consultations into video consults. So Let's start with MBS. Last week, the government did release some new MBS item numbers, um, enabling us to utilise video conferencing. Are you able to just talk through some of those overarching criteria for this? Yeah, so I think that's really exciting. I think the first thing to remember is uh, they have changed the definition uh, from the initial plan of being uh, having seen the individual GP in the last 12 months, and they've changed that to the practice, if I'm correct, Christina? Yeah, that was changed. So the MBS items came out on Friday the 13th, and as of Monday the 16th, we'd all already had successful lobbying to have that change. So, And I guess that's another point for the GPs out there. This is something that the RACGP is continuing to advocate for um, and continuing to improve uh, and, I guess, increase the scope of this and 
who might be eligible so that we can continue to deliver safe health care to our patients. So I think it's a fantastic initiative um, and it's excellent to see the government coming on board. So in addition to being a patient who's been at that practice in the last 12 months, there are also some other criteria that it's important to be aware of and they really relate to the risk to the patient of contracting COVID-19 or of getting serious consequences, which are being more than 70 at least 50 years old if you're an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, pregnant, parent of a child under 12 months, or a person under treatment for chronic health condition, or if you've got immune compromise. So then the other group are the ones who've actually contracted COVID-19 or who are in uh, quarantine for uh, suspected COVID-19 awaiting testing. And then the other group is where a clinician is in quarantine due to COVID-19. They can continue to consult uh, whilst they're required to be in quarantine. Excellent. So that's a great overview. So there are quite a lot of people that are eligible for this. I guess once you've determined, what are you guys doing in your practice? Once you've determined that patients are eligible under that sort of MBS criteria, how are you then triaging to make sure that their sort of presenting complaint, I guess, is compatible with doing a video consultation. I imagine there's some things that we can't do over video consultation. I can't really do a cervical screening or, you know, suture up someone's laceration. So are you? do you guys have any sort of criteria that you've used to implement that? So um, we've obviously we've got the COVID criteria uh, and we've yeah. implemented an online screening tool through our practice website to enable that. So we ask patients to go through the screening tool and then at the end of the screening tool, they can then book online um, based on the outcome of that screening tool. So that's one tip. If you can do that in your practice, it's, it's saved our receptionists a lot. The other one is really to point out that patients are actually pretty good at self-selecting around what is and is not appropriate for telehealth. You know, we're, we're fundamentally dealing with a pretty tech-savvy population these days and most people understand what you can and can't achieve through that platform. So um, they're probably the two main points. Patients are really good at self-selecting. Um, and I guess the the other thing and, and the point of nervousness that lots of GPs bring up is they say, well, I'm not seeing the patient in front of me. Uh, it's really different. Uh, I might not be able to touch them. But there are actually lots of tools that you can use your own observation and use the patient to help you with examining them virtually. Um, and we can go on to some of those later if you like, Christina. Yeah, well, let's talk about that now then. So, I mean, I guess I think, you know, taking history over the phone or on video conference seems pretty straightforward, but that is probably the one thing that makes GPs a bit nervous is that physical examination. So have you got some tips for getting around this, how we can improvise when we're on video conference? Well, I'd probably uh, hark back, first of all, is just to reiterate something one wise GP once told me, and that is um, listen to the patient and they will tell you the diagnosis. And we all know there's that old idiom that 90% uh, of your diagnosis is made up by your history. Um, and it's, it's also, I think, you know, any of us who've done exams, it's really hard when you're just looking at a bit of paper and reading the story to get the idea of what's going on for this patient in your brain. And just having a visual of the patient and how they move and how they look and what their facial expression is makes a massive difference to how you interpret what, is, what the likely diagnoses are. Um, so I think that's the first thing is that all we're doing is adding an extra tool in your armamentarium of taking your history and then starting to examine the patient. So um, there are a few clever little things you can do and I guess what I'd say for most people is the way I learnt this was just starting and trying a few consultations um, and then seeing what was possible and using your best experimental brain you can. So I think things you can try are, for example, teaching the patient to take their own pulse observing them closely so for in the the example of a child you know have a look at how they're moving are they interacting with their parent 
what's their colour like, all those things that, uh, that you learned as a medical student standing at the end of the bed before you were even allowed to approach and touch the patient. You can also get a parent to do things like capillary refill, get the parent to lift the child's shirt and have a look at their, their breathing, see if they've got any intercostal recession or tracheal tug. Um, so you can get a really good idea from adults as well, you know, look at uh, have they got any uh, accessory muscle use, uh, is their colour good. You can get a really good idea from those sorts of, uh, of practical things and, and just using a parent or a uh, someone else to help you with that examination. Uh, the other clever trick is, is using light in the room. So if it's a daytime consultation, sunlight's really useful for doing things like examining someone's throat. You can get them to open their, their mouth, get them to hold up their phone and uh, look down their throat or get someone else in the room to help with that examination. Yeah, excellent. So it's actually amazing, isn't it? probably more than you would initially think that you could do you can actually successfully achieve and I think probably speaks to the utility of using that video aspect as opposed to just the telephone I mean not everyone will have that available and that's okay and obviously we make do with whatever we do have but probably does show where you can just achieve that bit more when you've got them on video and just like you say things that you would just pick up sort of innately when you have them in the have them in the room without even putting a hand on the patient um, you can still do to some degree on video consultation and I love the idea of teaching the patient or teaching the parent to be able to to check for some of these things that we would check for it's yeah it's great that's right and I think the other important part of that is it's a good part of uh, teaching patients health literacy so I guess one of our big jobs as GPs is to improve the health literacy of our patient population so they actually make really good health choices. So if you can be teaching a parent about what are the signs of respiratory distress and say, you know, notice that, see what's happening there, that'll really help create reassurance in them that they see their child's breathing normally. It'll also improve their ability to recognise serious illness in their child, for example. Yeah, great. Okay, so um, let's take a step back and I guess tick off some of the more boring part when it comes to documentation. I'm keen to know what are your thoughts in terms of what do we need to be actually recording? Does it need to be in the patient's chart? And I guess this really comes to practicalities around doing it on-site versus off-site and do you have access to uh, off-site practice software but you know what might be the difference but differences there between on-site and off-site and what do we actually need to document in terms of the consultation? So um, I mean first of all I guess a lot of our users probably use best practice and medical directors very similar so they'll be the two most popular platforms. We really strongly encourage GPs to continue to document in their regular practice software because you want one continuous clinical record um, so you don't want to be fragmenting that patient's notes and, and putting some part one place and some part another. So whatever your usual system is, really keep your notes there. I think it is important to document consent and uh, I don't think that needs to be onerous. Patients, by the very nature of booking and booking an online consultation, have given consent by doing so. And I guess most people these days really understand what a video consultation requires. Um, I think one point that is important is the privacy implications. So it is really important to make sure you're checking which platform you're using and where that data goes. So Australian privacy legislation requires that patients have control over their data and you can't be certain when that data goes offshore out of Australia that that data provider will be, uh, will be compliant with Australian privacy legislation. So make sure whichever solution you're looking that, uh, that it does do that. And then further in documentation, it's really about just uh, having what is generally good clinical practice. So be systematised use the prompts in your clinical software. Most of the major vendors have a little drop-down box for the consultation type. 
uh, where you can choose that it's either a telehealth or a telephone consultation. And it's a good time, you know, sometimes these telephone consultations or telehealth consultations um, can actually be a little bit more relaxed. Sometimes you've got actually a bit more time because the practicalities of getting in and out of an office aren't there. And that gives you a good chance to review the patient's notes, just confirm with them, okay, yep, you're due for whatever preventative health activity is required. Yeah, excellent. So that's good. So, it, it, you know, it's not particularly onerous, isn't it? And I think that's an important point to get out um, for GPs that might be worried, oh, that all just sounds too hard. Actually, you know, as long as we can just say verbal consent from the patient, document the type of consultation, you know, i.e. telephone or telehealth, and, and then, you know, record appropriate clinical notes, like you say. So that's good. Okay, so last question then. I really just wanted to, another practical aspect, how do we actually arrange the forms, you know, we decide they need a blood test or a x-ray or a med certificate. How are you guys going about that? Yeah, it is a challenge, isn't it? So unfortunately, this is one where still the good old-fashioned fax machine does tend to dominate. Although we um, we are working with our local pharmacies uh, and radiology providers and pathology providers to try and streamline this system. So um, I think this is a good example of setting up a community of practice around your local area. So getting to know your local radiology provider, having a personal relationship with them where you talk to them um, and this is there's no better time than now to go out and do that uh, and so we've found that by talking to the local pathology providers we've had a few where we've got a good relationship where they know we can send in a request form say COVID testing for example and they're happy to receive them in that clinic um, and then they're even proactively going and calling the patient in our instance um, but setting up that relationship is really excellent. The other one is having a couple of pharmacies that you work with to have a relationship where patients know that they can go and get their scripts. So we do try and still point patients towards their usual pharmacy, but uh, where that's not possible, do you have a couple of local pharmacies we've got relationships with and said, yep, we uh, we can make this system happen. Yeah, great. Okay, so it's really making do with what you can in terms of what's appropriate for that patient and, like you say, developing some relationships with local providers. I think no one's blind that we're probably witnessing the biggest change in the way we provide healthcare in Australia in a generation. Um, and there are some really exciting developments. The government's announced an eight-week sprint to try and get electronic prescribing working. And I think as GPs, we'd all breathe a sigh of relief if that thing finally came to fruition, particularly for the aged care sector. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned one of the biggest changes to the healthcare, I guess the delivery of healthcare services in Australia in a very long time. I agree. And so I really do appreciate the fact that you've um, come on today and just shared some of the information and shared some practical advice around how you're tackling that at a practice level. So thank you very much for joining me. And Thanks, Christina. If I can put in a final plug for GP consults um, we're really designed by doctors for doctors and uh, we'd love you to uh, get on the platform and use it in your local area perfect thanks aaron mm-hmm.